in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, guys. It's going to be a good day, isn't it? Yes. It's Christmas time. We sang a Christmas song about Jesus. What could be better? So uh, have you guys ever watched The Grinch, the cartoon, the new one? No? Nobody? Yeah? One person? Anybody else? Two people? You can say yes. Okay. So some of you have watched that movie. I assume a lot of you have watched that movie because it's like the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. It overtook Home Alone, which is super sad because Home Alone is definitely the best Christmas movie of all time. Uh, what? Who said no? Why? Why? Yeah, it is. And so I don't know where you get off, but I have the Bible. And so... Uh, Home Alone, but anyways, and uh, it's cool, but in the Grinch, there's actually a Christmas song about Jesus, and so, uh, what? I know, that, that does make it a little bit better, right? Uh, but I love that, because it's, it's just that beautiful picture of how Christ can insert himself in anything, right? Like, I bet they didn't even realize that was a song about Jesus, but it's, it's just a, such a cool picture about how Christ is working and moving in our world, uh, but... I want to tell you guys about a conversation I had this week. So I was meeting with somebody. I didn't know who they were. Uh, I had never met them, but they knew who I was somehow. And so they were like, I've heard about you from this person or that person or something like that. And so I ended up getting coffee with them because that's what I do. I'm like, you don't know me? You know me? Well, that means we need to get to know each other. And so I asked them for his number. And uh, we sat down, we had coffee, and I was talking to him about Jesus. And if you've ever met with me, this is a question I always ask. Who is Jesus to you? Has anybody ever in, in here ever heard me say that? Yeah, many of you, right? Uh, that question is something that's really important and really lofty. So typically when I meet with somebody, I ask them, who is Jesus to you? And typically what I get is he's my savior, he's my everything. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, he's, my, he's my savior. Okay, what does that mean to you? It means that he's my savior and I'm not going to hell. Okay, so what, what does that mean to you? It means I'm not going to hell, okay? But personally, like we're supposed to have a relationship with Jesus, what does that mean to you? And so I asked him those questions, and I said, hold on, let me, let me explain to you who Jesus is to me. And I usually go on a very long spiel at this moment, right? And it's always different, because it seems like Jesus is just so uh, changing in my life every single day, getting me excited about other things. And so every time I tell this story, or every time I explain this, I'm like, Jesus is my life source. He's the one who gets me through the day. He's the one that I crave when I wake up in the morning. Like, before I even get out of bed, I'm like, Jesus, I can't get out of this bed. And you guys are like, that's great. No, this is literally me every single morning when my alarm goes off at 550. I'm like, Jesus, I cannot get out of this bed. I need your strength to get me out of this bed. He's the one that my heart craves. He's sweeter than honey. He, he is my everything, but not just my everything. I know how to explain that. He is the one I go to when I'm hurting, the one I go to when I'm happy. His word is inside of me, and I crave it. And he looked at me, and he said a really cool word. It's the F word. And uh, he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, it's okay. He was like, why don't I, that word, feel like that? Why don't I smile when I talk about Jesus? And I was like, man, I can't answer that for you. I was like, but if Jesus doesn't make you smile when you talk about him, 
If Jesus isn't something that's making you excited when you wake up in the morning, if Jesus isn't something, now there's going to be days where you wake up and you're not excited, but if it's not the majority of the time, Jesus filling you with such a passion for that day, or if you talk to somebody about him and you can go through that whole conversation without smiling, how do we do that? He asked me how I, why I smile when I talk about Jesus, and the weird thing is I don't even know that I'm smiling. It just comes to my face because I'm like, this is who Jesus is. What is more exciting than that? And so as I was preparing for this sermon that was on my heart all week, if, if we are not excited about Jesus, who's going to be? We're the people of the church. If, we're, if we don't smile when we talk about Jesus, I guarantee you people outside of the church aren't going to smile when they talk about him. Think about the things in your life that you enjoy the most. When you talk about them, it gives you passion. I can go up to one of you and I can start to talk to you about football or about golf or about cricket or about croquet or whatever weird sport you're into. And you'll be like, yes, this is what you do and it's so exciting. Right? Sometimes I talk to Barry about physical therapy and he gets excited. He's like, do you know this? One day my shoulder was hurting. He's like, if we had my table right now, like I could adjust that. And he gets excited because it's something that he's worked really hard at. It's okay to have our passions, but I was listening to a sermon this week, and it said the, way, the reason that we get so excited about those things can be good if we bring them under the cross. And so if we begin to look at the football that Christ died so that we can play this, and if we begin to look at cricket, Christ died so that we can enjoy this. Or if we begin to look at, I don't know, whatever TV show you like, Friends, is that a show that people watch? So yeah, I don't, I've never watched it, so I'm not really into it. But it's like, you might be excited about Friends. You'd be like, oh, I get to watch Friends because Christ died so that I can do that. It was only made because Christ died so that they could do this because he loved them and he desired them. And I don't know if that's a bad show, so maybe Christ didn't die. No, I'm just kidding. Christ died for all things. But... When we start to look at things in our lives and we start to ask ourselves, why do I get more excited when I talk about friends than I do Jesus? Now, there's going to be seasons in your life where you're not exactly satisfied with all that Christ is. So there's going to be seasons where it's an ebb and flow, where one season you're just like very melancholy with Jesus. But it can't be a, a trajectory of life. It has to be a season because if we allow that to become our life, then Jesus is not changing us, and we don't really have a passion for Jesus. And if the church doesn't have a passion for Jesus, then nobody will. Y'all feel me? If we don't have a passion for Jesus, who's going to? If you don't smile when you talk about Jesus, maybe you need to ask yourself that question. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to me? Is he something that matters to me? Is he something that I desire? Because here's the fact about Jesus. He's all through scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God sent him to die for us. We're gonna do an Advent reading with the Willises and they're gonna come up and they're gonna read our Advent for this week. And it's such a beautiful picture about how Christmas is that expectation of Christ. So we're gonna have them come on up and they're gonna read our Advent this week. It's funny, they came in this morning and they were like, the people who signed us up are not even here. So it's Nick and Paul. Give them a round of applause. Here you go, Paul. Nick, are you reading? Good morning. We'll be reading Psalm 146, 5 through 10. 
Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds <clears throat> the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Just the purple one. Purple. That was wonderful. You did such a good job. Thank you. Paul, you did a great job, too. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Y'all know the beauty of Advent is it's the hope and the coming of Christ that Israel waited for in preparation for Christ. And so when we think about the, those verses, how can we not be excited when we think about hope? Like all of our hope is contained in Christ. Everything that we have is contained in Christ. Uh, heaven, eternity, that's all contained in Christ. That's the hope that we have in Him, that He is who He said He was. Have you all ever thought about that? What if Jesus is not who He said He was? We wasted a lot of time, right? Or did we? There's, there's a philosopher who says, if I wasted my life being a good person, did I really do anything wrong? But the great thing is we don't have to worry about it because Christ is who he is. We know this for a multitude of reasons, but last week Barry shared with us Isaiah, and he talked about the virgin birth. Now, the virgin birth is very interesting, right? Because just like Barry said, we don't expect virgins to have babies, that's kind of weird, right? Like, you're talking to your sister and be like, yeah, I'm pregnant. Wait, are you a virgin? Yeah. Well, how'd you get pregnant? I don't know, I'm just pregnant. You're going to be like, okay, we're going to go to this place, and you're going to stay there for 72 hours. And they're going to make sure that everything's right in your head, right? Like, that's what we would do. We would think, okay, this person is unstable. They think that they're pregnant, but they're a virgin, See, but God works in ways that we don't always understand. Like Barry said, he overfills the cup with prophecy. It's interesting because even the Israelites and some of the Israelites and some specific sects in the Israelites, they didn't necessarily believe that Christ was going to come from a virgin. See, they thought that prophecy was more about the baby than it was the virgin birth. There's people in our world today who are Christians and who are sitting in churches and they don't believe in the virgin birth. They believe that it was just something that Christ used and that the virgin meant something completely different. But here's the deal. The virgin birth is a true reality. Barry said it's hard to understand sometimes, right? To think, oh, in our mindset that a woman could be a virgin and have a baby. And there's people who argue against Scripture that says, well, it, he didn't really mean it was going to be a virgin. It was more about the baby than it was the woman. And so I did a word study this week, and I looked at the two Hebrew words that are in the entire Bible used for virgin. There's two words, alamah and betula. Okay? Now, alamah is a very uh, widespread word. It means that it can mean a multitude of different things. It can mean a woman who is pure and not necessarily a virgin. It can mean a woman who has only had one sexual partner. It can mean a multitude of things, but in Isaiah, the word that is used is batula. 
It's this word that narrows it down, that this woman has never had sexual relations, that she is pure. She is the way that she was created. She's never been with a man. And so often people argue that, no, it was the Alama word that was used instead of betula. But when you do a word study, you see that the language is perfect. It's the word betula. And even in that word, there's a feminine noun before that saying a woman who's a virgin will have a baby. And so when we look at the book of Luke, where we see the virgin, uh, where we see Gabriel actually come to the Virgin Mary and say to her, you will have a baby. And she says, but I am a Altula. No, a Betula. Mixed them up. See? But she says, I am a Betula. I am a virgin. I have never been with a man. So when we look at this language, and in the Greek it's the same thing. There's a feminine noun before the word Betula. So those who make arguments that it's not really about the virgin birth. No, it's really about the virgin birth. Because God really worked in a way where he overflowed the cup of the prophecy and he brought Jesus in the world through a woman. Now here's what's even more interesting in that same language when it says you'll conceive. The word betula is in that word in such a way where it says you will have a baby by yourself. It does not include Joseph. It doesn't say you and Joseph will have a baby. It doesn't say you and a man will have a baby. It says you alone will have a baby. So when we think about the virgin birth, we see this beauty that Christ was so diligent. He loved us so much. His hope was so great that he went through every extreme to make sure that we understood that this will be a virgin that conceives a child. That no man will be involved with the Holy Spirit and Mary will conceive a child and it will be born of a virgin. See, Christ doesn't mess around. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And he's going to usually do it like Barry said, where the cup overflows, where it's better than we ever imagined. Because our minds are so finite compared to Christ, Christ always blows us out of the water. And so I stand here to tell you that the virgin birth is a true reality. And if that's hard for you to understand, I understand that. Just like Barry said, I understand that it's hard for you to understand that. But the language don't lie. The history doesn't lie. Christ was born of a virgin. That is something that is very important. Because that means we can trust Christ. That means we can trust the word of God. Often I speak to people and they say, well, I don't really exactly believe in all of scripture. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't believe that everything is true. I think some things are allegory. I think some things are poetry. And I'll be like, then why do you follow Jesus? (laughs) Because if you can't trust his word, how do you trust him? Can you all bring that back for a second? Like, how can you trust God if you don't trust what John chapter 1 says he is? I am the word. In the beginning was the word. The word, the Bible, what God has given us, the inerrancy of scripture. There's churches in our own town who don't believe in the virgin birth. There's churches in our own town who don't believe in the Bible. I've talked to one of their pastors, and he says, I often fight against Scripture to show the idea of who God really is. And I'm like, okay, man. We need to take you to this place. They're going to evaluate you for 72 hours, and we're going to see if everything's right. Right? Like, how how can you tell me that the thing that you love and desire the most, you've given your life to this, and you don't believe in the instruction manual that he gave you? That's like going and being an engineer and being like, okay, we're here to mess stuff up. 
this is how they taught me how to do it in school, but this is how I'm going to do it. I'm a chemical engineer. I know that if you put these two things together, that it's going to make mustard gas, but that's okay because that's how I want to do it. And I don't actually believe the manual anyways. So we're going to see what happens. Right? That, that's how it is when a pastor says, yeah, I don't really believe in the Bible. But I preach it. And I fight against it. Can, can you imagine? I don't really believe in God. But I've given my life to him. I don't really believe that he is worthy. But I serve him. What, you, you don't serve anything. <laughs> You don't deserve anything. It's like in scripture where it says a man built his house on sand. What happened to the house that was built on sand? It washed away, right? Another man built his house on solid foundation, on rock. What happened to it? It didn't wash away. If we don't believe in scripture, what are we building our house upon? Feeling? I feel like there's a God. Okay. Good for you. I feel like I'm going to get chocolate after this, right? You can feel like there's a God, but do you know that he's really there? If you don't have the word, how do you know that he's really there? You can't really know him. So even if you feel like there's a God, but you don't believe in the word, then you never get to know him. So the only thing that you've accomplished is saying that there is a God, but you don't trust in the Word, so you never have a relationship with Him. And if there's a God I can't have a relationship with, then I don't want that God. Right? Because if there's a God that you can't have a relationship with, then what is that? It's a ruler over you who cares nothing for you. It's like the President of the United States. There's a President. I don't know him. He doesn't care about me. He's making decisions for everything else. He's got the whole world to think of. Though the whole United States to think of. Whatever. And he's making decisions that aren't for the individual. Christ is making decisions for the individual because he loves us and desires us. If I serve a God who I can't know, then there's no reason to serve a God. There's a lot of people who serve a God that they don't know. There's a lot of religions. That's what makes Christianity so different is that we serve a God that we know. We don't have a whole lot of ifs, ands, or buts, or a whole lot of questions. Want to know why? Because God revealed himself to us through his word. Think about that. The Bible is the revelation of God. Without scripture, without scripture, we would know that there was something out there, but we would never know who it was or what it was. You know how you look up in the stars at night, and you see one moving, and you're like, that could be a UFO, right? And you're like, oh gosh. And then your anxiety comes on and you're like, they're going to take it over. They're going to make me a slave. They're going to probe me. This is going to be awful, right? And you start to trip. Taylor does that all the time. Taylor, Taylor calls me some nights. He's like, it's 1130 at night, and I'm just really worried that they're coming from Mars to get me. <laughs> he called me last night. It's 1151. I was like, I don't care. There's no such thing as aliens. He says, but what if, right? He still believes. Don't let him trick you. But anyways, Corey called me on Friday night. He's like, I'm pretty sure there's a sea monster coming to get me. I'm like, Corey, there's no sea monster. You're good. But it's like when we start to think about all these things and we don't trust Scripture, there could be anything that we could serve and we never know what it was because we wouldn't have the revelation of what it was. Remember in the book of Acts, Paul was in the temple. And he had all these gods and there was one place where it said the unknown God. 
Isn't that so interesting? The unknown God. See, they had all these other gods who had no revelation. They had just made up all these things. They had all these gods, and they trusted in those gods. They actually thought Paul was one of those gods at one point. They thought he was Zeus who had come down from heaven. But they had this place where it said, to the unknown God. Think about it. Isn't that funny? The unknown God was the only one who had revealed himself. That's how finite we are at times. We make up our own God to serve and we fight against Scripture because we don't want the God of Scripture. Because we don't understand Him. Because we don't get to know Him. Because we don't learn Him. We don't desire Him. And so we make up all these other gods that we serve and we end up in a spot where all we've done is joined a cult. Because we're following the God of the universe. Because we're following the God of the stars. Because we're following anything. If you're not following the God of revelation of Scripture, then you're just following something that's going to lead you straight directly to eternal separation from God. Think about that for a moment. Have you guys ever watched Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby? Ricky Bobby prays, right? He's at the table. He's got Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, Burger King, whatever. And he's like, dear eight-pound baby Jesus, thank you for this bountiful feast ahead of us right and his wife's like why are you praying to baby jesus he's like i love baby jesus he's like i like to think about my jesus in a manger eight pounds six ounce baby jesus right and then his friend cal at the table is like hey i like to pray to jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because i like a jesus who likes to party and it's funny to think about that but that's what we do with jesus (laughs) we're like yes jesus just wants me to be happy He just wants me to be happy. He just wants me to live a life that I enjoy. That's the purpose of life. No, that's a Jesus that you made up in your head. And some people are like, I want a Jesus who is a warrior, who will bring a sword, and he will fight for me, and he'll even hurt me when I'm bad. I want a Jesus who makes my tire flat when I sin. That's the kind of Jesus I want, because I want a Jesus who's an authoritarian. Well, you've made that up in your mind, and you're following a Jesus that's not Jesus. And then we start to make all these other transformations to Jesus to make him fit what we want. That's not who Jesus is. You want to know why he fought against that? Because he gave us his word. And he said, if you want to know me, I'll show you who I am. I'll show you who I am. I'll show you exactly my heart. Now, what is Jesus? Jesus is all loving. Jesus is all knowing. Jesus is all present. Jesus is all powerful. Jesus cares deeply for us to the point he was born of a virgin and died on a cross for us. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much hope Jesus wants us to have. He cares about us so much that he took a language and made sure that we completely understood by the placement of words in the scripture that this is who he is. Think about that. When you write a letter, a love letter to somebody, you're like, oh baby, I love you so much. You're amazing. You cook me breakfast. You make me happy. You do these things. You're not thinking about the words you use. You're just like, what's the sappiest words that I can use to make them know that I care about them? Right? Think about it. We call our wives and husbands baby. That's disgusting. We also call our children baby. Think about how little our words mean, right? Think about that. And I guess I made some people, I guess some people that's their favorite word and you've never thought about it and you're like, that's over, right? Uh, But it's like, that's how little our words mean. Christ loved us so much and wanted us to have so much hope that he placed his word strategically in scripture so that there could be no questions. 
Isn't that amazing? That's how much Christ loves us. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I know I've already preached a sermon, but we're going to jump into Scripture now. I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Jesus just makes me so happy. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Do you guys know anything about the book of Luke? Well, don't worry if you don't, because I'm going to feed you, baby bird. Don't worry. Luke is a very interesting book. Was Luke a disciple of Christ? No, Luke was not a disciple of Christ. That's what's so interesting about the book of Luke. See, the book of Luke was not written as an eyewitness account. The book of Luke was written by a man named Luke. You know what Luke did for a profession? Doctor! Now, we're not sure if this was a medical doctor, but he, he was basically a genius, and he wrote the book of Luke, and he had education, all of those things. And so Luke was somebody who had encountered Christ. It was probably written, uh, well, maybe not encountered Christ in person, but encountered those who had encountered Christ. And it was probably written about 50 years after the death of Christ. And so the book of Luke was actually written not as a project of Luke, but as a petition to Luke. There was a man named Theophilus, and in the very first chapter, it addresses Theophilus. You'll see this also in the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke. A lot of people think that the book of Acts was written by Paul. It was not as written by Luke. Also, as a commission for him to write a historical account of the early church. The book of Luke was uh, a commission by a man named Theophilus to write a historical account about the life, the birth, and the death of Jesus Christ. So Luke went on this expedition to write the book of Luke. So this gospel is for those of you who are very science-oriented, very detail-oriented, and very type A. Because Luke was definitely his personality. So Luke, if, if you love the book of Luke, that's why. It's because it fits your personality. Remember the gospels, the reason that there's four of them is because God wanted to be able to reach all people. So he wrote a gospel that fits each person. And so the book of Luke, if you're like, why do I love the book of Luke so much? It's because you're probably an intelligent person. See, I'm not intelligent, so I just really like the book of John. See, the book of John's like the action movie. It's like boom, 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 all the explosions. And then the book of Luke is like the biography written by somebody with a really slow, monotone voice. Right? That's what the book of Luke is. That's why I do not like to read the book of Luke. But it isn't. No, I'm just kidding. I love all scripture but it is my least favorite gospel. And so uh, the book of Luke was written by Luke as a petition by Theophilus. Theophilus means favored by God. And so the book of Luke, when we look at it, it's so awesome because this is actually a bunch of eyewitnesses' accounts coming together, being written in one document. So often people are like, well, how can you trust the Bible? Because there was a doctor who went and studied for years and talked to hundreds of people to find out what the story of Jesus really was. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome how much God cared about us? And he was like, don't worry. If you're this type of personality, I'm going to write a book that you can understand. And one day when there's all these people who says we can't trust the Bible because it has no historical evidence, because it wasn't researched, boom. Wait, sir, did you forget about Lucas? His name's not Lucas, it's just Luke. But did you forget about Luke? And so when we read Luke, it's written like that, very uh, well-written, very researched. And so in uh, verse 26 in Luke chapter 1, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is the uh, aunt of Mary. Elizabeth has a husband named Zachariah who was a priest, and they became pregnant in a very old age with a man named John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is actually the cousin of Jesus, the one who is supposed to prepare the way for Christ. Think about that. Christ loves us so much that the one who is supposed to prepare the way for Christ comes from his own family. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that crazy how God works? Is that prophecy overflowing our cup? Like, hey, you think I'm going to send Elijah? No, I'm sending Jesus' cousin. So she's been pregnant for six months now. Her husband, Zachariah, has not been able to talk for six months. She's like, praise the Lord. I don't got to hear from him. Uh, he's been silent for six months because he questioned God with the pregnancy. And you can read that uh, in the first 25 verses of Luke. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, Gabriel is the archangel, very important figure in Scripture. A lot of time when you, when you see an angel of the Lord, that's probably Gabriel. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now it says pledged to be married. Pledged to be married is not an engagement like how you can break off an engagement here. Uh, Breaking off a pledge to be married was a very serious issue and you actually had to go to the court and get a paper just like a divorce. And so engagement or uh, pledging someone to someone was a very serious ordeal. And so she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, uh, there's this, that I hear this a lot, that Jesus, Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter, but it didn't mean he built houses. See, carpenter in the Greek is most likely translated as a handyman. And so he did odd jobs around the town. That's, that's exactly what Joseph was. He was someone who went and would do these things. Often people tie a lot to Joseph was a carpenter. He built houses, and Jesus was a carpenter, and he built people. No, <laughs> no. Scripture doesn't say that. Joseph was most likely a handyman. It kind of shows their uh, economic level by doing that. And so he's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. Remember, Jesus would come from the line of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. So the angel comes and says, Greetings, Mary, you who are highly favored by God. And it says Mary was troubled. Why was Mary troubled? She was like, me? God? I'm highly favored? Why? See, to understand this, we have to understand a few things about Mary. Mary is probably somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16, maybe younger. Uh, she came from a poverty-stricken home. Uh, she was obviously marrying Joseph, who was just a handyman. There probably wasn't much of a dowry. And so it was more of, we need to get our daughter married off, so we got to marry her off. And so Mary wouldn't have been somebody in society who you would have been like, boom. She's highly favored by God. She's the one. See, you probably wouldn't have chosen her for much. So Mary is here, and when she hears the angel said, you are highly favored by God, it makes her feel, how am I highly favored by God? Think about that in your own life. When someone comes to you and they say, I mean, you're doing such a great job for the Lord, or you're serving the Lord so well, and you're like, no. Or when you don't know Christ and someone comes to you and they say, hey, you're amazing. Christ has a great purpose for you. You're like, no. They must be talking about the person next to me. They're talking to you. And they're like, no, I'm talking to you. And they're like, no, you're talking to them? No, me, me, you, you right there, you. That's who I'm talking to. Mary's kind of deflecting. She's like, what? How am I highly favored by God? That troubles me. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Okay, why did the angel say do not be afraid? 
Do you guys know angels are super scary? Most of them have swords. And they're surrounded by this amazing light. If you've ever read the book of Revelation and you're like, I wonder what an angel looks like. Read the book of Revelation, you'll be like, oh gosh. Why do we put those in our house? The only cute angel was the cherubim, which was a big fat baby angel. Like that's the only cute one. And that's why they put it on the Ark of the Covenant so people wouldn't be scared of the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant could kill you if you touched it, if you weren't sinless. And so uh, the angels were scary. And she says, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will it be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a betula, a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child at her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive in her, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's beautiful, right? No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled then the angel left her and so an angel comes to mary and she says hey i'm going to fulfill a prophecy from for you basically i'm going to bring a son to you his name will be jesus mary says but i'm a virgin he says don't worry about it the holy spirit will come upon you and you will conceive now what's interesting is uh, virgin births were not super uncommon during this time now when i say virgin births I mean the other word, amula, not betula. No, that's not it. I wrote it down. Alma, virgin birth, okay? And so people would, uh, I don't know a good way to say this. They would get a little bit rebellious. And they would go and have premarital, premarital intercourse. They would get pregnant. They would go to their dad, and their dad would be like, how are you pregnant? And she, or he, whatever, like together, would be like, well, I'm a virgin, and I guess God blessed me with a baby. Right? So this was a kind of a thing that happened a lot back in the day. It was kind of a way to get out. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of comparisons to that these days with toilet seats and whatnot, if y'all have ever heard some of those stories. And so there's some of those where it's like, well, how'd you get pregnant? Well, I don't know. It just happened. Not, not really sure, right? It's kind of that same thing. And so, but the difference here is that all those stories were stories of sin. And this story used with a very strong word is completely and totally different. Because think about all the details in this story. Gabriel came to me. Gabriel told me I was highly favored by God. Think about that for a moment. If you were a young girl back then and you had become pregnant by accident, whatever the case, well, it can't be by accident. You had to become pregnant wrongfully. You're going to be feeling a lot of shame and guilt. It'd be pretty hard for you to come up with a story of honor. Yeah, God came to me. He said, you're highly favored. 
You're going to give birth to a virgin. And then that would take knowing all of the history of Scripture. And so a 14 to 6-year-old girl who had never, like, women didn't go to school really back then, and so for them to make up all of this so intricately intertwined with Scripture is just ridiculous. And so those stories of falseness is something that sometimes people will use to say, well, this might just be another one of those stories. Well, this story has a historical account that's very detailed and intricate and took somebody who really had an understanding of Scripture to come up with. So if this is a made-up story, then I'm at loss for words. That's like someone coming to you and be like, hey, I got to show you a new equation that solves the problem for energy. Like we'll never ever have to use natural uh, fossil fuels again because I've made this equation. It shows us how to have sustainable, clean energy forever. And then they come up with an equation that actually did it. See, that's what this is. This is an equation of scripture where God works so intricately to come up with something that changes forever. Now, and then you have somebody who comes up and like, I've found an equation that solves energy. And they're like, it's three plus six. Nine. That's all we got to do. Right? You're like, okay. You're just delusional. <laughs> right? So, it's that same thing of when we look at these stories. Is it's like, this is intricately put together. It took somebody who really knew scripture and God just comes to her and solves it all for her. And so again, being able to trust the word of God, and it says in here, for no word from God will ever fail. Again, back to scripture, we can trust the scripture. Now, why did God choose Mary? Talked about this a little bit, but why did God choose Mary? Well, she was marrying someone who was in the line of David, that might be one answer. But I think the last verse of scripture gives us the exact reason why God chose Mary. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. See, God only chose Mary because she was obedient. <laughs> God chose Mary because she had a heart of obedience. God said, here is a woman who is going to be obedient to God. I want to use her to change the trajectory of the world by giving birth to the son, Jesus. Now, was Mary very important to the rest of Scripture after this? No. Mary was just a vessel that God used to bring Christ into the world. Mary is not someone who should be worshipped. Mary is not someone who we should pray to. If you're praying to Mary, you know what you're doing. Nobody's hearing it. <laughs> because Mary is not a saint. Jesus often doesn't even refer to her as Mary any longer after this. He never says worship her. He never says bow down to her. At one point, he says, this is your mom now to his disciples. She's losing her son, so you're her children now, and she's going to help you. But Jesus never says she's the mother of all nations. Jesus never says she's the one who can uh, get you out of purgatory. Jesus never said any of those things. Jesus never really went back to her. And so Mary was a woman that God used who was obedient. She, she is somebody who will always be remembered in Scripture because she was obedient to the Lord, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. She did a great thing through the power of God, but she is not someone who we should worship and praise. Want to know why? Because she is not God. See, we have to understand that in this virgin birth, in this hope story, the only one who matters is Jesus. All the other things are not really that important. The only person that matters in this story is Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who would come. Jesus is the one who was born of a virgin. Jesus is the one who chose to do this. Jesus. We can trust scripture because Jesus gave us this word so that we could know where he came from, that the line that the prophecies were fulfilled, that he chose to come for us so that we could have hope. Jesus is the center of this story. Jesus is the purpose of Christmas. Often in Christmas movies, we have a little girl or a little boy, and they're looking for the meaning of Christmas. It'd be so simple, but it'd be a bad movie. They go to their father and said, what's the meaning of Christmas? Jesus. Credits roll. Right? That, that wouldn't make for a very good story. And so we try to add all of these things to the story of Jesus to make it more interesting. It, it was an inn that they were going to, but there was no room at the hotel. It was a holiday inn. But there was no room. They didn't have the plus membership. So they couldn't get in. And so they had to go. They had to search. It was snowing in Israel, right? It was snowing. It was the worst storm. The worst storm since 83 B.C. The worst storm they had saw. And the innkeeper said, no, you're awful. You're horrible. Get out of here. Go stay in the pig poop. Right? We add all these things to it, but the reality is they went to an inn, a house, and the man didn't have any room for them, so he let them stay. It's a story of grace and mercy. He let them stay in his barn. Jesus was born in a manger. Beautiful picture of Christmas, Jesus being born in a manger. But we'll get to that in a couple weeks. For now, we just need to continue to focus on this, that Christ was born of a virgin to fulfill every prophecy that Barry talked about last week. How in Isaiah, he said, a, 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 someone who changes the trajectory of everything will be born of a virgin. And so what does this mean to us today right now? Well, it means that we can trust Scripture, but it also means that we need to have a heart of obedience. See, if an angel came to you and they said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be greatly used by God to change the world. All you have to do is give up everything you've ever known, everything you've ever wanted, and follow me. What are you going to say? You're going to be like, okay, God. Gabriel, hold on a second, man. Here's the deal. I got a lot of stuff coming up. It's Christmas. I got a lot of presents I got to give. I got to finish this project at work. My car's on the fence. I got to get new tires. My brakes aren't working. Got to get the brakes replaced. And then after that, let's say January 3rd, because I need a couple days to recover, right? January 3rd, after New Year's, all that stuff. Then I'll follow you. Does that sound like a plan, Gabriel? What's Gabriel going to say to you? Right? Like, see, but that's us with God every single day. God, God fulfills prophecies. God gives us his word. God gives us the trajectory of life. But so often we're like, God, hold on a minute. I'm offering you hope and peace and mercy. God, hold on a minute. See, and sometimes we wonder, God, why does our life still look the same? God, why do we continue to live? God, why do we continue to struggle? God, why do I not feel peace? God, why am I still here? Well, the reason is because we keep telling God to hold on so that we can continue on our own way trying to find God's way. And he's like, okay, there's your way, here's my way. Peace, hope, mercy. Here's my way. Here's the way of obedience I want you to follow. Think about Mary. Mary was gonna follow in obedience. Do you know how much stuff and flax she got in that community? Think about that for a second. She's pledged to be married to Joseph. She starts to get a baby belly going on. What are people saying to her? What are people saying about her? 
She's following God. She's doing exactly what God has asked her to do. But then the whole world is looking at Mary and saying, look at that rebellious girl. Had premarital relations, and Joseph said he's not even the father. But Joseph is still going to marry, and look how great Joseph is. He's sticking around. Mary, though, she's a bad one. She don't know what she's doing. She must have been raised in a bad home, right? Like she, They start to throw all these insults at her. Think about Mary walking in that community, pregnant. Walking in that community, living life in the stairs she got. The ways people looked at her. But she's like, I got the hope of the world living inside of me. I got to continue on. Think about that in terms of our own life sometimes. When we have somebody we need to share the gospel with. Somebody at church we could tell, or somebody at work who we could tell is hurting. Our neighbor who we feel like is broken. Somebody at the coffee shop and we're, I don't know if I can do it. And we talk ourselves out of it because we don't feel like we can endure the rejection of doing it. Or we don't feel like it's our place. Or we feel like we're not far enough along. You got the hope of the world, the peace of earth living inside of you, and you don't feel like you can share the gospel? See, the reason that the world isn't being transformed is because we're not trusting in obedience that God is actually going to take care of it. Remember earlier when I said that I smile when I talk about Jesus. See, I make mistakes. I mess up. I miss out on gospel opportunities every single day because I'm too fearful. But I'm telling you right now, if we don't start to change our mindset to obedience where we're like, this is the hope of the world. Jesus literally was born of a virgin. Jesus did everything he commanded in scripture, died on the cross for us. If we don't start to look at it like this is something that's important, that it's actually important to share the hope of the world, that it's actually important to share the gospel with people, then I'll tell you one thing, then the hope of Christ will not die because it will never die. But the way that we want to see the world transformed, the way that we want to follow Christ, it's it's never going to happen if you don't take any steps. You just can't keep sitting where you're at and be like, man, I want to see everybody know Jesus. I want to see my workplace changed. I want to see my house changed. Yeah, but it won't happen until you start to obey Christ. You got the hope of the world. I got the hope of the world. Jesus set it all up. But until we take steps to share it, until we take steps to live it, We're just going to keep sitting over here waiting for something to happen. And guess what? It might happen because God's plan will always be fulfilled. God's word will always come to reality. But the people in your household, the people at your workplace, you're never going to see them live the life that they want to live because we were too scared to share. We were too scared to be obedient. And so it just continues to stay the same because we don't really believe the hope that's living inside of us. That's what it comes down to. If we're not willing to to share it, do we really believe it? Think about that for a second. Mary said, I'm ready to endure all of this. I'm ready to obey a 14 to 16-year-old girl. Some people think she was as young as 12. She's like, okay, let's go. God's confronted me. God's come to me. And you might be like, well, Ricky, God's never come to me. Well, if you're following him, if you have a copy of his word... If someone shared the gospel with you, then God has confronted you. God has come to you and called you. You might be like, Ricky, I just work at a grocery store. Or I just work at this company. Or I work at XYZ. God has not called me into anything more than that. Yes, he has. Because the book of Peter says that we're all a royal priesthood. Being built into spiritual houses. Every single one of us. Someone who works at a factory. Someone who works as a CEO. You have been called. 
you have been called to something great. It doesn't mean that you're going to give up your whole life and go live in China. That's not what that means. But it means that God has given you a great purpose. It means that God has called you to live a life of a servanthood to Him. It means that Christ has called you to be a slave to Him. It means that Christ has called you to get outside of your comfort zone, trust the hope in which He gave you, trust the hope in which you say in your head, and live a life that glorifies Him. I want you all to think for a second. I want you to really evaluate. Because here's the deal. My life does not always glorify God. And there's times when I have to take a really hard check and look at myself and see areas that I need to change and ask God to reveal to me the things in my life that are holding me back from following him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about that? God, is my life glorifying to you? I want you to think for a moment. Is your life glorifying to God at this moment? Is it something where you're doing everything that you can to make him known? If it's not, then you need to evaluate your heart and ask God what you need to do to do that. Because if you're not living a life that is in obedience to Christ, what are you living? What are we doing? Often people say, well, I'll do this, but it's going to be on my own time. If you're in sin, it doesn't matter what you want. You've got to get out of sin. If you're in sin, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You just got to get out of it. If you're living in open sin or you're living in private sin, you should be doing everything that you can in your power to give it up. See, we live in a world where it's like, well, live in sin and eventually you can fix it. No, give it up. God says to turn from it. God says to gouge your eye. Think about that. God is serious about you getting out of sin because he says gouge your right eye out if it's giving you trouble. Because he says it's better be thrown into the river with a millstone tied around your neck than go to hell, than go to eternal separation from him. So if you have sin in your life and you're holding on to it, how are you evaluating it? See, some of us in here, we've had sin in our life, the same sin for years. For years, we never overcome it. Why don't we overcome it? Well, have you ever sat down and read the word? And let God show you who he is. Let God show you the way that he can help you out of that sin. Let God show you the way that he can help you out of that shame and guilt. Think about that for a second. Sometimes the biggest thing that holds us back from getting rid of the sin in our lives is our shame and our guilt, the way that we feel about ourselves. Mary, she had to look at herself and be like, I'm nothing, God, but you want to use me. God, I'm worthless, but you want to transform me. I'm the worst of the worst, but you want to use me to bring the greatest of the great into the world to change everything. Each one of you are so favored and loved by God. You can look at this scripture and you say, highly favored by God. That's you. You're highly favored by God. Each person in this room, you are highly favored by God. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus sent, I mean, because God sent Jesus to be born of a virgin. So that this baby could be born. So that he could live a sinless life and go to the cross and die for you so that you can be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So that you're no longer uh, destined to eternal separation from him, but transformed by the blood of Christ, freed from your sin, freed from your captivity. But the problem is, we don't live in that freedom. We try to keep the chains while living in the freedom. Because we don't actually believe we're favored by God. 
We actually don't believe that God wants to work in us. We actually don't feel worthy. I texted a few people this week, and maybe one of you got those messages, but I said, I'm thankful for exactly who you are. God laid those people on my heart and told me that they're going through a hard time and said, you need to tell them that you're thankful for exactly who they are. And so I evaluated to myself, am I thankful for the, the exactly who this person is? Because I'm not going to lie, right? And so I thought about the people, I thought about their gifts, I thought about the way that God is using them, thought about their spouses, thought about uh, maybe not their spouses if they're single, thought about exactly who they were, and I came to the realization, God, you're using this person in such a great way, and they might not know that. So I texted them and said, you, I am thankful for everything that you are. Each gift that you have, each way that you've been used, the uniqueness that is inside of you, I am thankful for that. Because all of us here are highly favored by God and created with such uniqueness. All of you are created with your own spiritual gifts. Remember Ephesians 4 says that we've all been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Each one of you in here, you have a gift. You, you have a way that God has gifted you uniquely to serve the kingdom. And some of us in here, we're so busy worried about what other people think about us that we forget what God thinks about us. Y'all feel me on that for real? We're so busy thinking about what the person next to us thinks that we forget about what God thinks. That's where peer pressure comes from. God, am I going to fit in if I don't do this? Who cares? I'd rather fit into heaven than fit into eternal separation from him, right? I'd rather fit into God. I'd rather be uh, transformed by God than fitting in with the world that lasts temporarily instead of being transformed by the Holy Spirit for the rest of my entire life. By transformed by the hope of Christ on a cross, by a virgin birth. Now you might be like, well, Ricky, you might believe this. This might be good for you, but how do I know? Well, the Bible. And you might be like, well, I don't understand the Bible. Then you got a pastor who is willing to sit with you for however long you need to, and we'll sit down, and we'll figure it out, and we'll walk through Scripture. And then you might be like, well, you might be busy. Well, that's okay, because i got 13 other guys who I can be like, you can sit down with them. You might be like, I'm a woman. I don't want to meet with a guy. Well, don't worry. i got 13 other women who can sit with you, who can take you through Scripture, and who can show you the direction of God for your life, and how you're highly favored, and how He wants to use you, and how He wants to transform you and how your shame, your guilt, your sin, none of that matters because it's all been taken by Christ on the cross because a virgin conceived a child named Jesus. And so your hope is completely contained in him. And so the sin that you're dealing with, that you're having trouble giving up, if you just give it to Christ, is going to be freed from you. And it might not be freed instantly, but Christ is working to free you from it if you're taking the steps to be freed. Now, you may be like, well, who does not want to be freed? Well, there's a story in Scripture in the book of John, and there's a paraplegic man, and Jesus goes to him, and he says, do you want to be healed? That's an interesting question, right? Do you want to be healed? I'd be kind of, I'd be like, yeah, I'm paraplegic. And the man says, I try to get in the pool, but everybody goes ahead of me. Oh, that's so interesting. See, it was, the, uh, it was the pool that they believed that an angel would come down and stir with his hand. It would have healing powers. And if you got in there, you'd be healed from any physical ailment or medical ailment. And the man is standing before Jesus. And Jesus says, do you want to get healed? He says, yes, but everybody pushes me down. I can't get in the pool. <laughs> and Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. Think about that. We're all like, yes, I want to be healed. 
Why wouldn't I? Yes, I want to be used by God. Why wouldn't I? Yes, I want to know that there's hope in Christ. Why wouldn't I? Yes, I want to believe the Bible. Why wouldn't I? And you're standing before Christ, and Christ is like, receive it. Accept it. And you're like, nah. Because I got this question. I got this question. And I got that question. And I got this that I got to do. See, we, we always make an excuse. Mary didn't make any excuses. Mary wasn't like, okay, Gabriel, you know, my dad's not going to be happy about this. He's going to be real mad. <laughs> my friends, they're not going to be happy about this. Right? And, he's, and then she's not like, well, there's a couple bar mitzvahs coming up, and I'm super excited about them, right? She doesn't make excuses with her plan. She says, okay, may your word be fulfilled. Isn't it interesting that she says something about the word? May your word be fulfilled. <laughs> may your word be fulfilled. As God's given you the word, may it be fulfilled. Everything that I've told you today is not the opinion of Ricky Wilson. It's the fact of the scripture of God, the, the inerrant word of God, his breathed word right here telling you this is what Christ believes about his people, that you are highly favored by him, that he died on a cross for you, and that he wants to use you. Are you ready to be used by God? Are you ready to be healed? Some of you in here might be thinking, my life is great right now. Man, praise God. I am serving Christ in such a beautiful way. Praise God. I guarantee you if that happened, it was because you submitted to God and he began to use you and change you. You were in discipleship and God just took off and blew up in your entire life. That is the story of those who are living in victory right now. I guarantee it. Those of you who feel the shame and the guilt and the sin in your life, the reason that you are still there is because you're stuck. You're gripped feel like there's no way out. Christ has brought you to a place of family, a church, a body of Christ, right? See, the church is so important to the mission of God. To a place where you can be accepted and loved. A place where people can come around you and help you. Confront those issues of you're not good enough with, man, you're so valuable. You're so incredible. God loves you so much that he died for you. And you don't believe me, that's what it says in the word of God. This is what the Bible says about you. This is what the Bible says about you. You are incredible. You're held back by your sin, but Christ wants to free you for it, and he did all the work. All you got to do is come to him in obedience. Christ wants to set you free. Some of you in here, you may be Christians, you may be following God, but every time you start going, you hit a wall. You get smacked in the face with another problem, another struggle then I challenge you to this. Ask God how to get over it. Don't figure out ways. Don't figure out on your own behalf, on your own power, on your own ability, but ask God. And some of you might be a Christian and you're like, man, God is so good, but you just feel sad all the time. You just feel like everything is falling apart all the time. You believe that there's God, but everything just feels like it's falling apart around you. You feel like everybody hates you. You feel like nobody's there for you. You feel like all of these things. I, I challenge you to evaluate the way that your thinking is. What's coming out of your mouth and what's going into your heart. If we have hate toward others, if we have a mentality of everybody's against me, 
then you can't fully participate in the body, which holds you back from fully participating in Christ. Those are three ways that you can respond today. Three ways that you can respond to God today. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you a life of freedom. He wants you to read his words so that you can know him more. He wants you to desire him. He wants you to live a life fulfilled by him. How amazing is that? How different is that from a God that wants you to live under him in authority where he tells you everything you have to do and he hurts you and punishes you? Now Christ wants us to submit to him authority because he is the authority. But in Philippians, it says that we uh, don't look out for our own selfish ambitions. See, when we're participating with Christ, when we're truly trusting him and truly operating within his body, what happens is we don't have to worry about how we're going to succeed because everybody's looking out for everybody because the body is being the body. When we trust Christ, he'll set you free. When we trust the word, he'll give you the direction. just about trusting the word. If you'll bow your heads and uh, pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Father God, thank you for the detail that you put into your word and the way that you work and move in it. Father God, thank you for your son who was born of a virgin so that we could have freedom in who you are and freedom to trust you. Father God, thank you for everything that you did to bring us to this place today and every way that you worked to make us humble. Thank you for listening this week. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events coming up, visit us at idclifton.com. Again, thank you for listening to the ID Clifton podcast. And remember, love God and love others. Thank you.